Happiness is an inside job. At Happy Healthy You, Connie Bowman helps us find our way with inspiring conversations and healthy ideas for living a whole life in mind, body, and spirit. Happy Healthy You. And now here's Connie. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. I'm your host, Connie Bowman. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've been listening for the past six years, can't believe it's been that long, you know that this podcast is about living a whole life in mind, body, and spirit as best we can. And today, I think this podcast is going to touch a lot of your hearts. It certainly touched mine when I read Ellen Hendrickson's book, How to Be Yourself. So I hope you'll listen and share and, you know, give us a little rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast, because apparently that helps. I don't do a lot of that uh, um, kind of promotion, but I, I just feel like maybe I should. So, so there you go. Um, before we get started on this podcast, I also want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Blue Planet Eyewear, because we just have to. Blue Planet is an amazing company. They make readers, which I'm wearing right now, and they make really cute sunglasses, and they give back. They give back to organizations all over the world, seriously. Um, they're eco-friendly. They provide vision care for people, children, adults, all over the world who could not otherwise afford it. So give them a little love. Go to blueplaneteyewear.com. And if you decide to buy something, use code Connie20, because that'll give you 20% off. So cool stuff. So I like to start my podcast with something a little spiritual, because I like to rise to the highest level possible, you know, and that's always changing. So, <laughs> so a few years ago, I was asked um, and given the honor uh, of performing the funeral of my father-in-law after he died by my husband and his sisters, they said, would you mind doing it? They didn't really have a um, a church that they felt comfortable having the service. And so I, it was such an honor and it was such a, you know, a responsibility to honor the life of this man, um, my father-in-law, Bob Bowman. And um, he was a really unique kind of guy, uh, I think his true self, as we will be talking about today, kind of fell into the category of a diamond in the rough, really. Um, every morning when he would walk into work, um, he would say to everyone, Happy New Year! And <laughs> it was kind of awkward, and nobody really knew what to make of him, but we all came to know and love exactly what he was. He was just trying to start the day happy, and you know, he kind of grew up in the country, and his father wasn't in his life, so he had a lot of, he had a lot of things to overcome from from early on and then he fought in Vietnam and he was almost blown up he really the fact that he survived was a miracle and when he came back he suffered and he um you know had some had some challenges he got a few DWIs and he uh ended up stopping drinking completely and you know he he ended up suffering with dementia toward the end but Towards the end of his life, I really felt like my father-in-law became his true self. 
even his happy New Year's in the morning, were part of who he was. And so at his funeral, I chose to read this excerpt from Thomas Merton, who always takes me to a higher level. Um, he was a man who spent a lot of time in contemplation and silence. He was probably an introvert, but he was also... Uh, one of his contributions was um, really bringing together a lot of the different faith traditions of the world. He really felt like we could, even though he was a Catholic monk, he really felt like we could learn from every different tradition. And so he traveled to the East and incorporated some Eastern philosophies into his um, teachings and his uh, writings. He was a prolific writer. You can find his writings everywhere, Thomas Merton, so look him up. Um, but at the funeral, I decided to read this. It was from his book, Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander. And um, it's quite lengthy, but I will try to break it down for you. So Merton was on the street in Kentucky, and he had this awakening, and he uh, said he almost laughed out loud because he all of a sudden came to this awareness of who we all are. And he, this is what he writes. I have the immense joy of being human, a member of a race in which God became incarnate. As if the sorrows and stupidities of the human condition could overwhelm me now that I realize what we all are. And if only everybody could realize this, but it cannot be explained. There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. Then it was as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the depths of their hearts, where neither sin nor desire nor self-knowledge can reach the core of their reality, the person that each one of us is in God's eyes. If only they could see themselves as they really are. If only we could see each other that way all the time. And here's my favorite part. At the center of our being is a point of nothingness, which is untouched by sin and by illusion, a point of pure truth, a point or spark which belongs entirely to God, which is never at our disposal, from which God disposes of our lives, which is inaccessible to the fantasies of our own mind or the brutalities of our own will. This little point of nothingness and of absolute poverty is the pure glory of God in us. It is like a pure diamond blazing with the invisible light of heaven. It is in everybody. And if we could see these billions of points of light coming together in the face and blaze of a sun, that would make all the darkness and cruelty of life vanish completely. Isn't that beautiful? So I'm going to bring our guest in. I mean, that's a little heavy. My father-in-law would probably cringe if he heard me uh, reading that at his funeral. But, you know, I'm sure he appreciated it from where he was at the time. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Ellen Hendrickson. She's a clinical psychologist who helps millions of people calm their anxiety and be their authentic selves through her award-winning podcast, Savvy Psychologist, and in her clinic at Boston University Center for Anxiety and Related Disorders. Ellen's scientifically-based zero-judgment approach is regularly featured in Psychology Today, Scientific American, The Huffington Post, Susan Cain's Quiet Revolution, and many other outlets. Savvy Psychologist, which has been downloaded more than 14 million times, man, that's awesome, was picked as the best new podcast of 2014 and the best healthcare podcast um, for auto radio in 2016. She earned her PhD at UCLA and completed her training at Harvard Medical School. She lives in Boston with her family, and she is the author of a new book called How to Be Yourself. 
quiet your inner critic and rise above social anxiety. Welcome, Ellen. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Connie. It's a delight to be here. <laughs> yes, rise above. See, I always like to start with a little bit of spirituality just so we can rise above this fray because being human is hard as shit, isn't it? And absolutely. <laughs> and and I think then the, the name of the book is How to Be Yourself. And I feel like people get that advice kind of flippantly from other people that if they're going on a first date or first job, people will try to reassure them by saying, oh, just be yourself. Right. And it's equally excellent advice because it's true, but it's also so infuriating because it comes across as, oh, is that all I had to do? Or, oh, gee, why didn't I think of that? And so, yes, it is, it is very hard to do something that seems on the outside to be so simple. Yeah. And we pop into these bodies, you know, we are these pure diamonds as Merton talks about. And I feel like it, from day one, we are bombarded with, I, I, I consider myself an introvert. I, I read in your book, I think you, you say the same thing. And, mm-hmm, I and, and I feel sometimes we are just bombarded. And I, I just want to say to the extroverts out there, good for you. I'm so happy for you. Please listen to this podcast because I think toward the end, you may have a little more compassion for those of us who might struggle with some of these um, introverted characteristics. And and you might see what benefit we have and how we can learn from one another. So, so yeah, <laughs> my little plug for the introverts. Sure. And, and also just for the extroverts out there, you know, we're, we'll, I'm, we're going to talk quite a bit about social anxiety and it's, it's absolutely possible to be a socially anxious extrovert. That is kind of a unique, um, uh, experience, but it's way more common than one thinks. Yeah. Yeah. And social anxiety, as you write, is more common than we would think. It's 40% of people identify uh, as socially anxious and um, 13% meet diagnostic criteria for criteria, criteria for social anxiety disorder. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. Exactly. Yeah. And so the 40% comes from the number of people who identify as shy like semantics are are important and Mm -hmm. so when you pose the question as are you shy which is just the everyday way of saying socially anxious like you know did did, when you were a child did you hide behind your mom's leg you know were you socially awkward as a teenager like are you shy now um that yeah it's 40 percent of people will identify with that uh identity and so so if we put it in technical terms that means socially anxious. And yes, you're absolutely right that there is another category where 13% of us at some point in life will cross the line into a diagnosable disorder. And that happens when social anxiety is not just kind of this annoying thing that happens from time to time, but it crosses the line into either distress or impairment. And so what that means is if you are disproportionately distressed. So for instance, uh, it's perfectly normal to be anxious before you have to give a presentation or before you're going on a first date or before a job interview. But if we feel that level of anxiety and self-consciousness before, say, trying out a new Pilates class Mm -hmm. or standing in line at the supermarket, that is disproportionate. And so that qualifies as distress. What qualifies as impairment is if it gets in the way 
of living the life we want to live. So my examples there are if you pass up a promotion because it would require you to give presentations or travel for work and meet a lot of strangers, that's impairment. Or if you're a student and you deliberately forego 20% of your grade because that's the class participation uh, portion and you feel unable to raise your hand, that's also impairment. So those two things, distress and impairment, are what we're looking at to cross the line from just the kind of this everyday small s social anxiety into uh, what could be a, a disorder and what I call capital S social mm. anxiety. Okay. And you, in the book, I, you have several lists that kind of give us a, a little more information about, you know, kind of who, how we fit into the spectrum. And there is, it is probably a, a br- broad spectrum. Am I right oh, in that? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, so uh, there, so there's some wonderful work by, uh, a social anxiety researcher named Dr. David Moscovich out of the University of Waterloo. And he has this lovely theory that I find uh, really resonates with a lot of people. And that is that social anxiety falls into one of four categories. But perhaps I should back up first and and just define what it is I'm I'm talking about. So social anxiety is essentially self-consciousness on steroids. It is this (laughs) sense that we, that there is something wrong with us, that we have a fatal flaw. And unless we work really hard to conceal or hide that perceived fatal flaw, and I really want to emphasize that word perceived, will be revealed and judged or rejected for it. So the, the four categories that we worry we will be you know, revealed as are, uh, Dr. Moscovich talks about, uh, number one is our appearance. So this is the same feeling we might get if we wake up and we look in the mirror and we realize we have a big zit on the end of our nose, mm-hmm. or if we are just having a horrible hair day, we, there's this urge to, you know, like put some concealer on or to wear a hat to hide essentially. And so there folks may be worried that they'll be revealed as say unattractive or fat or blemished or something of that nature about mm-hmm. their appearance. Then the second category is the symptoms of anxiety themselves. So folks may worry that they will be revealed as blushing very like redly and hotly, or they might be revealed because they're holding a a glass at a party and their hand is shaking, or they're giving a presentation with a laser pointer and their hand is shaking, and they're worried that they'll be revealed as an anxious freak or, you know, not being able to handle the pressure or something to that nature. And then the last two categories are the biggest. And the third one is that our social skills are somehow lacking, that we are boring or we have nothing to say in a conversation or that we will go blank when it's our turn to talk. That's something about our our way of interacting with others is somehow lacking and will be revealed. And then finally, the last category is just kind of our overall character that we worry that will be revealed as stupid or incompetent or a loser or any of these terrible labels that our inner critic might throw at us. And so if we feel that that level of self-consciousness on steroids and that urge to hide, we mm-hmm. know that social anxiety has struck. Mm, yeah. And all of us have experienced some of that to some degree, I would, oh, I would suspect. Yeah. Yes. Why does it seem like social anxiety uh, is, 
it seems like it's more prevalent than ever, or is it just that it's out there, especially among adolescents and millennials? I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So I work at an anxiety specialty clinic and we've just had an avalanche of young people coming in with uh, social anxiety. And so it is, at least from my vantage point, definitely on the rise. I think that one reason that might be is actually a positive reason, and that's because mental health issues are becoming less stigmatized, that people are Thank much goodness. more willing Thank to goodness. talk about their their own mental health struggles or their insecurities or just what might be going on in their own lives that I think previous generations might have wanted to keep under wraps or construed as private. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's actually a, a wonderful development that people are feeling more comfortable seeking help and talking about, you know, not, not just the highlight reel of their lives, but the things they're struggling with it as well. So mm -hmm. I think that's actually good. But at the same time, uh, there are, I, I have several theories on, on why social anxiety might be increasing, especially among young people. And I think technology is indeed uh, a big driver. When we communicate, uh, you know, through texting or email or, you know, instant messaging, then there is this opportunity to edit and perfect one's communication. And there's less of a chance to develop the skill of just speaking in real time, face to face, without being able to, you know, edit and make the perfect witty comment. And so I think when we communicate electronically uh, so often, we end up with this this dearth of experience, this lack of experience in in speaking face to face. And when we don't have as much information about how something is going to go, or we've had less practice doing it, it makes us anxious because because mm -hmm. we just we just don't know. Anxiety is driven by uncertainty. And so when we're when we're feeling shaky, we're going to be anxious. Yeah, so I think and that's I, one factor. That's such a factor, and it's funny because my husband accuses me of. Well, I I am an actress, but I he accuses me of over dramatizing text. Sometimes I'll read him a text, and he'll say, "Well, you put a lot more into it than they did." But but, but it's so easy to misinterpret a, a text or an email and. Because we're not, we don't have that human connection. We can't read body language and facial expression. And um, yeah, it's difficult. So uh, I can see how it would drive social anxiety. Um, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think that without, again, because you, you just hit on uncertainty from a, from a different perspective, which mm -hmm. I think is exactly right, that there is more uncertainty in texting because all you have are the words. You don't have the tone of voice. You don't have the, yeah, the facial expression, the body language. So yeah, a huge percentage of communication is nonverbal. And so when you don't have that, you're left guessing. You're left with a lot mm -hmm. of uncertainty, which of course is going to drive anxiety. So as with every advancement, there are pros and cons and social media can be great for raising awareness and helping us feel more uh, less alone with things that we are going through, but also we can have these kind of disconnects that... Uh, don't help things and don't help us understand one another and find compassion and that kind of thing. So maybe we can go into, uh, you, you touched on uh, the anxious extrovert. Let's talk about how social anxiety is different from introversion and maybe more typical in an introvert, but how it's also possible to be a socially anxious extrovert. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you I'm are curious right about that, that. that social anxiety is definitely more common in 
introverts. Um, but I think the, so, okay, so let's, so introversion and extroversion are baked in personality traits and they're mostly about where you get your energy and how much stimulation you can handle. Mm -hmm. So for instance, introverts recharge by being alone or with people they know well, you know, like their partner or their best friend and extroverts have a higher tolerance for stimulation or maybe even need the stimulation. Being alone leaves extroverts sluggish and bored. So, so there's, there's this baked in personality, you know, need to either limit or, uh, or amplify the amount of stimulation, including social stimulation in, in one's life by, by contrast. So while introversion and extroversion are about, you know, energy and stimulation, social anxiety is really about fear. Again, it's this worry over mm -hmm. the reveal. And so while it's really common to think that social anxiety is just kind of an extreme form of introversion, uh, it's really, it's more like apple and orange because you, so you mentioned, yes, there are these examples of socially anxious extroverts. So um, somebody I always like to mention as an example is an acquaintance of mine who is a stand-up comic and a teacher. So he loves being in front of people. He loves an audience. He's drawn to the microphone, but he's also afraid that they are judging him, that nobody really wants him there. And so to be a socially anxious extrovert is kind of like being between a rock and a hard place because if you're alone, you end up sluggish and bored. But if you are in front of people or with a lot of people, which gives you the energy you need, you are afraid. So it's, it's really a, a tough situation to, to be in, uh, you know, much more common is to be the socially anxious introvert. And that comes from kind of a, a common root of what's called behavioral inhibition, which is simply the, the, the need to kind of check out your surroundings before you, it's, it's the need to look before you leap and it's designed to keep us safe. But if it's, if it's too much, we end up losing out. So why would you say it's important um, for us to become aware of not only our personality type, but our propensity for anxiety? If we are, we're all trying to be our, ourselves, just be ourselves, mm -hmm. which is our goal. I, I don't like being put in a box. I really don't like labels, but of course. educate us about why it's important to just have this awareness of whether we are introvert, more introverted or more extroverted and whether we're prone toward social anxiety and at what degree to what degree. Sure. So I think it's because it, it is a fine line to walk. It, it, it's, it can be hard to tell. Um, my little quip is that for introverts, like introversion is your way, like that's just how you are whereas social anxiety gets in your way. And so I think it's important mm. to try to parse out what is simply preference and who you are, because that shouldn't change. We should, we should all honor you know, who we are and, and where we get our energy and what makes us happy and how we connect with others. And to also be really honest with ourselves about whether we are avoiding certain social situations or um, or, or relationships because of fear, mm. because that can and probably should be, be changed. Our personality shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't tinker with that nor feel like we need to. But if we are making decisions out of fear, then that is a great opportunity to try to grow and stretch mm. and challenge ourselves. And, and we can do those things. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. See, I, yeah, that's one of the reasons I, I started doing stage acting just 
in community theater because I was scared to death to be up in front of people. And the more I did it, the more I realized, you know, with anything, you can do anything with rehearsal. <laughs> now I've come to that, that realization that with enough rehearsal, I can stand up there and I'll still be a little bit nervous, yes. but also I've developed some, uh, you know, through teaching yoga and, and meditation, I'm, it's, it's all good. I'm getting so, I'm getting really close. I really want to get to my true self before I'm my father-in-law's age. I want to really, I want to get there earlier so I can enjoy it because gosh, isn't it so much fun to live in our true selves? Every once in a while I'm there. Yeah. So I want to highlight something you said. So you you mentioned that you, you did, you do, you know, community theater and you're on stage and you still get nervous. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you get a little nervous. And I want to point out to everybody that, that that is okay. That And that's actually wonderful because what you're doing is you're not saying, I'm not going to get on stage until I'm completely comfortable. Like I'm going to kind of retreat and work on my, you know, my stage fright or work on my anxiety until it's gone and then go on stage. You're saying, no, I'm going to get on stage while mm-hmm. I'm anxious. And there I'm imagining is where your learning occurred. There, That's where you're saying, oh, Hey, I can do this. Or, Hey, that wasn't that bad. Or, Oh, the, you know, whatever I was worried was going to happen, you know, forgot my lines or, you know, I don't know, missed my mark. It either didn't happen or if it did, it wasn't so bad. Oh, and the, the, yeah. Yeah. And I can tell you that the times when I have lost my place or lost my lines and I was up on stage, the world did not end, but I, Mm. for about a split second that felt like two years, I thought the world was going to end. And I had that, sure. the whole thing, like, should I run off stage? And if I run off, I can go to my car and, and I can just leave and never come back. And nobody, <laughs> yeah. and the whole thing, like, it's like your life flashes before your eyes. And then all of a sudden in really what was the blink of an eye or the a split second, I, I pulled something out of my butt. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it works out. It works out. And so out. being able to overcome that was was very, um, it was pretty satisfying, even though I laugh about it now. Literally. Oh, sure. Yeah. We, we've all had that moment where like we stand there and like we feel like a deer in the headlights and our stomach <laughs> drops. You know? But then, and you know, and even, like worst case scenario, if that moment drags on and on and on, like you, for, to the outsider, it just looks like you're collecting your thoughts or it just looks like a momentary pause, even though, yes, you're right. It feels like decades, yeah, but, yeah. but that, that, that even going through those blips and bloops and mishaps can be helpful in gaining that evidence that we can do this. And yes. that, you know, even if that, you know, that surge of adrenaline does hit, you know, and, and we feel like, you know, running away forever, you know, climbing out the bathroom window that uh, we get through it. Yeah. And that, that helps build our confidence. I played Elsa. You remember the, um, the Baroness in The Sound okay, of Music? Yes, so yes. Um, I, I lost a whole verse and I just oh, started no. singing la, 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 la. And recently I ran into a friend of mine who was in that production. She goes, remember that time you sang la for a whole verse of a song? <laughs> and we both had a good laugh. And I, I realized, yeah, I survived that. That wasn't so bad. Yeah. And it was actually kind of brilliant because... I was actually drinking champagne and the character was a little bit tipsy and huh. she would have forgotten her. And so yeah. anyway, it all works That's out. <laughs> and I love, how, I love how your friend, you know, wasn't like, oh my gosh, you were so awful. I can't believe you had to do that. Like, so like what our inner critic might say to us. And right. so she's like, that was hilarious. Like good for you. So nobody is thinking 
about us as much as we think they are. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. So let's let's go into some of the solutions, some of the actions we can take to try to make ourselves feel better and some of the things that might actually make it make our anxiety worse. So Sure. Um, Absolutely. Maybe maybe both of those sides of the coin. Yeah, so I can give you some um, some tools uh, for all your listeners to to, to try out. Um, so if we're in a socially anxious moment, so say we are, you know, I don't know, at a the proverbial party, you know, mm-hmm. and we're um, we're just feeling self conscious, we're feeling kind of out of place. Maybe we don't know um, everybody, or even you know, just a few people there. So when we're in a moment like that, and we start to feel self conscious, what happens is that so our attention is like a spotlight and sometimes we don't realize that we get to choose where to spot to where to where to what to illuminate with that spotlight and so when we're in a a socially anxious moment our attention automatically turns inward and we start monitoring ourselves and our performance and so think oh why did i just say that like oh i just ah that sounded like idiot or we might think like oh i hope they don't see my hands shaking or we might think like, oh, should I stand this way or this way to look more casual? <laughs> you know? And so what happens when we point our attention inward, all our bandwidth gets eaten up and we have very little left over for actually attending to the moment to actually be where we are. And so we end up not having enough bandwidth to listen or to respond in kind or you know attend to the moment. And that's that's why... Sometimes we end up stepping on somebody's foot or, you know, spilling our drink mm-hmm. because our, our bandwidth is all eaten up. So to remedy this, what we can do is we can uh, choose to turn the spotlight our attention from the inside to the outside. So rather than paying attention to me, 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 mm-hmm. we can turn our attention out to our environment and the people we're with and focus on them, them, them. And so what that does is when we listen very closely to what they're saying, or we look around us at the people or the person we're talking to, that grounds us in the present moment and it allows us to respond more naturally, which is definitely getting closer to being ourselves. Mm, Yes, I had this situation um, just last week, actually, I was presenting a certificate to um, some people who had graduated from this course I was mentoring. And I stood up in front of a whole group of people. And I realized I couldn't read the the script and I had their names and I had the all the information and I wanted to get it right. And I so wanted to be present for these two uh, people, because I love them so much. I'd been working with them for a while, and I realized I needed my glasses. <laughs> and so I put my Blue Planet Eyewear readers <laughs> on, mm-hmm. and then I realized I couldn't see. You know how when you put your readers on, you can't see them. So I was totally obsessed with my glasses and not where I wanted to be. I wanted to be there present for them, and I let I let that take me out of my presence. But I soon just realized I don't need these stinking glasses. <laughs> I know the information I had I had prepared, and I just let it go, and and it was fine. But I, it was that was so clear that I was I was vacillating between my presence and my um, yeah. It was anxiety. It was just it was yeah yeah. 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 So yeah, that, that happened. when I realized that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm with other people, but I'm in my own head. I, I, I try my hardest to, to 
to it, it, there, there's a definite shift. Like you, you can, you can feel yourself do it. You know? Yes. So yes. like in, in the, in the book, I, I kind of half jokingly, I say, you know, kind of go through head, shoulders, knees, and toes mm-hmm. in your head, but you can feel your attention shift from, you know, from your head to your shoulders, to your knees, to your toes. And you can likewise feel your attention shift from like kind of being trapped in your own head to being, Oh yeah, here I am. I'm with these people. I'm in this body. Right yeah, yeah. 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 Good. And you give so many great, uh, examples in the book and case studies and people studies. And it's just really a great resource for anybody who might just need some tools for, um, you know, getting to your true self. So how does it actually work, Ellen? How do we gain confidence in life? I mean, oh, I'm so glad you asked that. (laughs) Tell us, give us, give us the cliff notes. So so many people will come into my, my, um, my office and say, you know, I, I want to work on my confidence. So I'm here. Can you recommend some books? Like what, what exercises can I do? I want to get more confident so I can live my life. And I say, good for you. That's awesome. I'm so glad you're here. And let's do that in the opposite order. Let's have you live your life so you can gain confidence. It's backwards. Like a lot of people think that it's kind of like, uh, mood and um, or like motivation and action that we have to feel like doing something before we do it. We have to like feel like going to the gym before we lace up our sneakers. We mm-hmm. have to feel inspired before we sit down to write or paint or whatever it is we do. And in fact, it's the opposite that we can put our action first and just start, just go to the gym or sit down and start writing. And then later that inspiration, that motivation will catch up. Mm-hmm. And even if it doesn't, at least you've gotten a good workout or, or, you know, you've got some words on paper. So, so it's the same thing with action and confidence that there's, there's a huge pull and I totally get it. I, I, you know, I, I would like that too, to feel confident first and then to go out and take over the world, you know, but in fact, it's important to do things that we would be doing if we were confident first. Mm. And that's how that confidence is is built it doesn't have to be big things we can you know i always say you can inch your way into the pool you don't have to do a cannonball into the deep end so for folks with some social anxiety it could be as little as like asking someone for the time or flagging the waiter down and saying you know i'd like my bill now rather than just kind of waiting for him or her to notice Mm -hmm. or telling your hairstylist exactly how you want your hair rather than just kind of holding your breath and hoping it turns out okay yeah so it could be the little things and baby steps right yeah baby baby steps steps, exactly and then we can work our way up to i'm gonna apply for that job or i'm gonna ask her out or i'm gonna go back to school or whatever it is that we would be doing if we were confident uh so good. So good. I'm going to use this as a segue. I, I like to say that practice doesn't make perfect, but it gets us in the game. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about how, and I think that's so true. It, it just gets us in the game. We don't have to be perfect, but many of us kind of suffer from a little perfectionism. Um, how does that drive social anxiety and make it so much worse? And how do we oh. deal with that? Yes. I'm so happy you brought that up. Yes. So, so sometimes, so that I've had, I've been in interviews where, where that's kind of a, a, a mind blowing moment. They'll say, Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, you're, you're right. Like the, that, that social anxiety is driven by perfectionism because often we will walk into a situation and think that we have to be cool and calm and collected and confident and entertaining and have there be no pauses in conversation and win people over immediately. And like just the list goes on and on and on. And when we set the bar that high, it's paralyzing. And so we end up 
doing nothing <laughs> rather than mm -hmm. rather than you know, getting ourselves in the game. And so uh, personally, I think perfectionism is a bit of a misnomer because it is not so much about trying to be perfect. It's about being worried that we're never good enough. And so we think we have to drop this, you know, like perfectly timed, witty comment into conversation. And so we stay silent or we want to um, present an idea during a work meeting, but we think it has to be like fully formed, you know, this like perfect monologue. So again, you know, we stay silent and then someone else inevitably says our, our idea. So the answer there is is to honestly to lower the bar to to learn that it's okay not to speak in paragraphs like it's okay to have an awkward silence or two and that in fact people appreciate imperfection because it's humanizing it's endearing and it makes people like us more people who come across as perfect are kind of seen as inhuman and not approachable and not relatable whereas if we let some of our foibles and humanity show, then people are actually drawn to that because then suddenly we're, we're relatable. We're not, um, shoot, I just lost my train of thought. What's that word? Perfect. <laughs> we're not, we're not, we're not, um, oh, we're not, we're not intimidating. That's, that's oh, intimidating. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Let me, let me back up. So, so, so when we when we let like our foibles and our humanity show, it comes across no longer as intimidating, but in, instead approachable, and people feel they can connect with us rather than being intimidated by us. You know, this is taking me because I come from a long line of perfect women. <laughs> my grandmother, my mother, everything. You know, she was mm. my mother was June Cleaver. And recently, I posted on Facebook a picture of me. I went, I was down south with some girlfriends from college, and it was really humid, and my hair gets really frizzy. And I posted a picture and said, "This is why I will never move south because I have." Yeah. And I got more of a response from that more Absolutely. people were like they could relate like you know my hair is freaking frizzy so that's just the way it is and it's never going to change unless i spend a lot of money and get that brazilian blowout which i'm never going to do so i thought i i really i felt like i had i made a connection there and i i kind of felt the love the frizzy Absolutely. love so so yeah don't be afraid to let your freak flag fly right 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 i've i've always been so um i've impressed or just i've just noted that uh that you know folks on like youtube or instagram like will always get so many more not okay so a not not that the point is likes whatsoever like we're not we're not chasing likes we just want to do right, something, something right. excellent for excellence's sake however exactly i have noticed that the fail videos are always so much more popular than the ones where people do things properly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why do we love that? We just do. Because right. we can see ourselves in that, I guess. Exactly. We're all just human. So yeah. here's a here's a subject that I would really like to touch on. Um, I know we're getting close to the end, but um, I do teach yoga and mindfulness, as I said. And uh, in fact, I taught this morning, Mindful Monday. It's Monday. <laughs> Shout out to all my Mindful Monday peeps. I love Very you good. guys. Um, how can mindfulness and, and meditation uh, alleviate some of these uh, stressors and social anxiety. Sure. So um, I'll, I'll I'll walk you through. So you can tell I'm a big nerd because I have favorite studies, but I'll walk you through one of my favorite studies. Well, Sarah um, Lazar. I interviewed Sarah Lazar from your alma mater, and um, she did a lot of the research on on meditation and um, 
Yeah, the benefits, health benefits. Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. So. No, if, 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 yeah, if you could bottle meditation, like it would, it would be a you know. A, a truly, miracle. truly. Um, so this particular study is by doctors uh, Stephanie Kasten and Neil Rector, and so they worked with uh, about somewhere around sixty people, I think, with uh, you know what I call capital S social anxiety, so diagnosed social anxiety, and they trained them for just ten minutes in either one of three things: so mindfulness or distraction, which is basically like paying attention to something that's not the task at hand. So like not to think about something or nothing at all. And so that was the control group. And so in the mindfulness condition, they were you know taught kind of the bread and butter of mindfulness, like how to focus on your breath, bring your attention back when it wandered, you know, be aware of your thoughts and feelings and accept your experience in the present moment. So after this little 10 minute training session, everybody was asked to remember a really humiliating or awkward social experience like a really bad date or maybe they told a joke that nobody got or maybe they stepped on somebody's foot and so they were asked to bring whatever it was they were asked to bring the memory into their mind's eye and to really picture it really get in there really kind of wallow around in remembering that embarrassment for five minutes and then they were supposed to rate how upset they were okay so then for the next five minutes, they were asked to apply whatever it is they had learned. Like, so either to, to try to be mindful of their thoughts and experience, to distract themselves, so basically try not to think about it, or just to wait it out. And then they were asked again to rate how upset they were. So they had this before and after uh, distress score. Mm -hmm. And so as, as, <laughs> as, as you can probably guess, the, the mindfulness group won out. So there, the distress went down steadily and significantly over those five minutes. And in distraction, it didn't at all. Stayed like because when you try not to think about something, you have to remember what it is you're you're not supposed to think about. Yeah, don't think about an elephant, mind. right? <laughs> don't exactly, think about an elephant. Exactly. <laughs> so then the elephant stays on your mind because you have to think like, am I thinking about it? Am I thinking about the yeah. elephant? Am I thinking about the elephant now? Yeah. You know, so yeah. it it stays at the you know tip of your brain if we try to do that. And then in the, you know, the weighted out group, the distress actually got worse. And so there, that was after just 10 minutes of mindfulness training. And so there, imagine how you can turbocharge that with a, like either a formal practice or some, some more dabbling even that some, that be, being mindful and saying, oh, like, this is, I'm having this thought or I'm having this memory or my inner critic is saying to me, wow, that was stupid, is really different than thinking, I'm stupid. Just that little, that little space. I'm having the mm -hmm. thought that I'm stupid is really different than I am stupid. And so just that little, that little wedge in there mm. is enough to make that distress go down quite significantly. And you become the silent witness, the silent observer of yourself and your mind. And then you become more truly you because you can, you can recognize and learn your patterns and what you've mm -hmm. been. Yeah. And then, and then you can pause and choose to apply some breathing techniques or whatever your favorite thing is. I'm, I'm a big fan, fan of, um, um, Vipassana meditation. Mm, Vipassana. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it, yeah. it really helps me. And, and there's even a three breath method that I teach. I mean, if you just take three deep 
long, slow inhalations, equal in length. Oh my gosh, changing mm-hmm. everything in a second. Yeah, yeah, so, no, because your body's a package deal, you know. So totally. like if you can calm one body system, you're gonna you're gonna calm them all. Right, right. So I I want to I want to talk about what it means to be truly ourselves and how that is. But before we do that, for those of us who are recognizing. Um, say we're with someone at a party, yeah, mm. parties, the worst. Yeah. <laughs> so we're with someone at a party and we're noticing that they are exhibiting some signs of social anxiety and we really want to help them. Of course, we're not going to be codependent. We're not going to try to fix them. But if there, if there's anything we can do to, um, you know, help them out in a situation, what would you suggest? So we can have a little more empathy for those of those those of us who um, really suffer suffer in silence, really. Absolutely, yeah. I'm really glad you asked that. So I think the the instinct uh, when when if we if we notice that somebody you know who is usually comfortable with us suddenly clams up in a more public or social situation, or if we know them really well and they've actually told us that going to parties or you know speaking up or being assertive is hard for them, then. I think the the instinct is often to try to accommodate them to say like oh well you don't have to do that or well let's make a different plan or let's not do that but I think while that might create relief short term long term then that deprives them of the opportunity to do what we had talked about earlier to learn that you know the worst case scenario doesn't usually happen and that you know we we can handle things and so certainly it's you know it's not our place to be their their therapist but i think we can be their champion mm-hmm. and by that what i mean is to to emphasize how capable they are and to be supportive by saying you know like if we're about to walk into the party saying okay first few minutes are the hardest like here let's 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 go let's go talk to to that person over there like we we know her we know she's friendly let's go let's go talk to her first to kind of ease our way in or like let's let's do a let's kind of do around and get the lay of the land or so there could be a plan and just like this idea that the first few minutes are the hardest, then we'll get in there. Or we could say something like, okay, well, last time you did this, you were really glad you did it. Just to remind them of their successes, to remind them that when they stick with it, they're usually glad that they did. Or just simply like, you are strong and you can get through this. Uh, so something to that extent. If you're the host, you can say, I'm so happy you decided to come. Or like, I really appreciated your company. To so just give them some some praise and gratitude and some heartfelt affirmation yeah. for, for coming. What we don't want to say is to brush aside their fear, which is very real. So we don't want to say, oh, don't worry about it, or you'll be fine, because those are those come across as, as invalidating, even if we mean them well. So to try to be their champion and tell the truth and to emphasize that they're capable and that, yes, this is hard, and you can do it. And just be kind. Can't we just Absolutely. be kind? Absolutely. <laughs> let's just be each other's champions. I love that idea. That's the world I want to live in. So let's get to the the final, the real, the the payoff, the big payoff. We do the work. We work through this. We find our, we have moments of shining our our light, right? And we we are our true selves. Um, what is that? How how would you describe what it means to be authentic or to be our true selves? Mm-hmm. So in, at least in terms of social anxiety, it's being who you are without fear. If you look at a situation in which you are comfortable and confident, maybe you're with people that you know and love, maybe you're 
just in, a, in an environment where you do feel like your true self, it's, it's feeling like, like that. And that usually means that we are in the moment. It's watching and listening and responding to the moment rather than trying to conceal ourselves or to manage others' impressions. It's, so our true self is who we are without fear. Mm, what, what a beautiful idea. And I've noticed for myself in those moments that colors are more vibrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, I feel more compassion and genuine love for whoever I'm with. And I'm just placid and serene. Absolutely. So, yes. so I mean, it doesn't happen all the time. I don't live in a state of that. I still get t- no, ticked no, off. Right. And um, But I think when we have those moments and we can um, kind of savor the sensations, then they're more easily accessible yes. to us. Yes, when we, when we so. get to know them, we can recognize them more easily. Awesome. This has been such a great conversation. I really suggest that you get this book, How to Be Yourself by Ellen Hendrickson, PhD. And Ellen, maybe you can give us your information, your website, and where we can find all your information to work with you to read your book, etc. Sure. So the book is available wherever you like to get your books. So just go to your favorite bookstore or you know site, and it, it'll be there. Uh, I also have a podcast myself called Savvy Psychologist. And so wherever, again, wherever you like to get your podcast, you can find it and download it there. And uh, my website is ellenhendrickson.com. And there I try to send out um, a newsletter just reminding people of these tools and tips, you know, every couple of weeks. And there are some great free resources there for folks who want to start their rise above social anxiety. And then finally, you can follow me on Twitter at Ellen Hendrickson. Awesome. Thank you, Ellen. I really appreciate this. And um, good luck with the book and everything you do. Have a great summer. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much for having me. It was a delight to talk to you. Yes, it was great. That's no way to be. Not with me. Can't you see that I am just as embarrassed as you? And I can understand your point of view I've always been shy I confess it I'm shy can't you guess that this confident air is a mask that I wear cause I'm shy and you may be sure way down deep I'm demure though some people I know might deny it